Hey, Venture, it's great to see you here today. Can I just say good morning? Some of you are joining us online today, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're with us online. But can I just, I want to say this. You ever had one of those weeks where you just needed to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship together? I had one of those weeks this week, and... Uh, <laughs> It blessed me just listening to, there's a sweet spirit in this room, listening to our people worship. Uh, I kind of needed that today. It blessed me. I'm glad that you're here. So uh, welcome to week three of this series that we're in right now. It's called Becoming Us. Make plans to join us next week. We're kicking off uh, a new series next week, a two-week series. It's football season. Next week, we're talking about huddling up. What that, what's that all about? But this week uh, is week three of Becoming Us. And if you've been tracking along, and I hope you have the last two weeks, this is a very important series for the life of our church because we're talking through mission, vision, and values of our church. We've kind of been tying this to the old, uh, well, it's not old, it's a very current TV show called This Is Us. And we've seen in that show, it's almost like it's the now and the not yet. This is who we are, and yet this is who we are becoming, becoming us, our mission, our vision, and our values. Let's recap if we can. Let's go ahead and put these up on the screen. The first week of this series, we talked about who we are. Last week, we talked about where we're going. This week, the title of this message is Hills Will Die On. I don't mean to be melodramatic, but that's what we're talking about today. Again, if you're into strat ops, this is uh, who we are. This is all about our mission, right? What we're called to be, what we're called to do, and where we're going. Last week, we talked about our vision. And then, uh, well, today, this is our values, our core values. Hills will die on. Let's recap real quick. Let's talk about our mission. Let's put that up on the screen. Here at Venture, we want to be, we desperately want to be real people. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be honest with one another, to do life together. We are real people, and this is what we're about, loving courageously, sharing generously, speaking truthfully, even if it's in the dark. That's our mission. Then our vision, let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. We're calling people to venture home, and last week if you were here, we spent a fair amount of time talking about what does home look like. And by the way, mark your calendars, September 12th, we're kicking off our fall spiritual growth journey. We're going to take a deep dive into what does it look like to be at home. What's it look like where God says he's calling us home. But venture home where we seek Jesus and we see you. That's our vision. Now, core values. I've titled this message today, Hills Will Die On. And I'm sure you're familiar with that idiom. We kind of throw that around in language. Well, I choose not to die on that hill. Here's the deal. Historically speaking, hills have been pretty strategically important. If you're a conquering army, you want to take the hill because you have the high ground. And actually, Archaeologically speaking, if you excavate hills, especially in Europe and in the Middle East, oftentimes hills, there are layers of archaeological battles to be discovered there. Why? Because the high ground was always important. And literally, people would choose to take that ground and they would say, that's a hill I choose to die on this past summer. 
my family and I were taking a trip, kind of a bucket list trip. This was the last trip for our family before, you know, the, the boys, the older boys are heading off into their futures and will probably be internships and stuff next summer. So this was the last summer we thought, hey, we're going to get to do a road trip. And you know what? If we did a loop through the, the uh, northeast of our country, we could, we could say we've been in all 48 of the lower states. Let's do that. And so it was kind of one of those breakneck speed trips. We were in Boston, and uh, I had already been on Bunker Hill. Perhaps you have been there as well. And so it wasn't a big deal for me to see it. I'd already been there. I'd already walked around. This is like day four or five of this road trip. The kids are tired. We're driving through Boston, and I did a lap around Bunker Hill. I'm looking for a place to park. Dads, you probably can relate to me. Moms, you can relate to me in this. And I'm like, this is Bunker Hill. Guys, you've studied this in your history. Guys, let's go out and check it out, right? And I get from the back seat. Uh, They were not interested at all. One of the boys actually took his smartphone and he snapped, like real sarcastic, snapped a photo. I got it, Dad. I'm good. They didn't want to go out and explore it. And I thought, you know what? All right. Literally or metaphorically, this is not a hill I choose to die on. We don't need to get out as a family and explore this. I've already seen it. If you don't want to do it, this is a hill I don't choose. Well, I don't choose to die on this one. I I did a search this past week, and I've got some tweets here. Somebody actually put this question out a couple of years ago. Easier Twitter challenge. Name the most trivial hill on which you're willing to die. Sometimes we die on the wrong hills. People responded to that tweet with a variety of answers. Here's one. When somebody lands on a property in Monopoly and they don't buy it, then all caps. It goes to auction for any player to buy. You can tell this is like deep felt emotion here. It is in the rules. A person is betraying. They're choosing to die on, I think, the wrong hill. Here's another one. These are all like grammar nerds, right? Irregardless is an ignorance marker. Apparently there's no such word as the word irregardless. Raise your hand if you actually knew that. Yeah, there are some literary nerds in the crowd. That's cool. Here's another one. Uh, one space after a period, period. They changed the rules on us. When I learned typing in high school, it was space, space. They've changed the rules. This might be a hill that I'm willing to die on. I'm still a space, space guy. How many of you are one space? How many of you are two space? You are my people. All right. Humbus is made of chickpeas. It is literally the Arabic for chickpeas. There is no such thing as a white bean chickpea. For the love of all that's wonderful, stop calling any any random spread hummus. Clearly, this is a hill to die on. When people use apostrophes when referring to a decade or an era, it's the 90s, not the 90s apostrophe S. Unless you're attributing something that belongs to that decade, there is no period need, period for, period uh, an apostrophe. Hills to die on? Eh, maybe, maybe not. I think I've got another one here. There's no such thing as a millennial. However, this gentleman definitely is a hipster. I think he is a millennial. Uh, The designation of a generational cutoff in 1981 is arbitrary and flawed. No data exists showing those born before that particular year are remarkably unique from those born before. Is this a hill to die on? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Crypto means cryptography, not that other thing, cryptocurrency. Maybe choosing to die on the wrong hill. A couple of thoughts or cautions about choosing to die on hills. Here's one. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If you're going to die on them, values, core values for an organization, core values for you in your life should be chosen chosen carefully. 
You should choose your values carefully. Not willy-nilly, I'm griping about hummus or which generational designation we're talking about or one space or two spaces. They should be chosen very carefully. We've done that here at Venture. We've spent the last 18 months, I told you at the beginning of this series, kind of crock-potting on our mission, vision, and values. But these, uh, here's the other principle. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're going to die on them, values should stand the test of time. And these have. I'm going to show you our core values here in just a minute. Not yet. Go back. Not yet. I'm going to show you here in a minute. They're not going to surprise you at all because you just saw them. They're still not going to surprise you because these have been values for us for a while. I was meeting this past week. I had a lunch appointment with another community leader, a pastor. And he was talking, he comes from a a denomination. Venture is not, if you're new around here, we're not a part of a larger denominational structure. We're a part of a loosely affiliated group of like-minded churches called the Independent Christian Church. We don't have a denominational headquarters somewhere. But he was talking about his denomination, and he said, here's the deal. The young folks, and he was a bit older, he was describing the millennials that we just talked about there. And he said, they're changing, or they're not choosing to die on some of the hills that we chose to die on. That's not really a value. And actually, as he was describing in practice what they're changing, I actually thought to myself, man, that's, that right there is the key marker. That's what I've always thought of as a defining point of that particular denomination. That might be a problem. If you're going to die on them, values should stand the test of time. So are you ready to see them again? You ready to see these core values? If you've got a smartphone, pull it out. I want you to snap a photo of this. These are the hills our church chooses to die on. These won't change. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Here they are. Biblical authority. Prayerful dependence on God. Leaning into him prayerfully. Continued spiritual growth. Outward focused impact. Genuine hospitality. You're also looking at the outline for the sermon today. We're going to walk through those. We're really just going to touch on these. You're going to see these sprinkled through messages from this point moving forward because these are the hills we choose to die on. Maybe literally. I don't want to be melodramatic, and I'm not being, but I do think that each of these five, we really do live as an organization, or die as an organization based on these particular values. So let's walk through them. We live and we die on biblical authority. Oh, I wish I had more time to unpack this one a little bit more today. We're just going to kind of hit the 30,000-foot level, and we'll dive deeper at another time. But there's two words here, biblical and authority. Let's start with biblical. Your Bible It is of key value to us as an organization. It's almost football season. My mind goes to great coaching, great coaches throughout history. You probably heard of John Wooden. He was a 10-time champion over a 12-year season of coaching at UCLA. Ten times they won the national championship. This guy is a legend. Here's the deal. He started out every season. Literally showing his players how to put on their socks 
and how to lace up and tie their basketball shoes. Now, you might hear that and think, oh, that's condescending. I bet his sophomores and juniors and seniors on the squad, they probably felt it as condescending maybe the first time. But when you're a part of a winning program, (laughs) it becomes a big deal. Yesterday, I bought a new pair of running shoes. And I went to one of these stores that knows what they're talking about. I learned something new yesterday. I've been tying my shoes since I was, I don't know, three or four years old. They showed me a different way to lace my shoes, a different way to tie my shoes. It keeps my foot anchored a little bit there, and it doesn't slide around as much. I learned something new about tying my shoes. There's nothing wrong with recognizing the truth that the fundamentals are very, very important. Another coach from history, Vince Lombardi. At the beginning, that's not Vince Lombardi. That's John Wooden. I think I've got the wrong image in there. If you want to see what Vince Lombardi looks like, go ahead and Google that for yourself. But here's the deal. At the beginning of every one of his football seasons, he would say, guys, he'd hold up a football and say, this, gentlemen, this is a football. Famous speech. The fundamentals. And then we're going to build on those. Here's ours. Your Bible. This is a football. Hmm. This is your Bible. It's foundational. Everything gets built on the words of Scripture. Why? Well, because it's authoritative. It's an authority in your life. I uh, heard a story this last week. Uh, I I called somebody who's fairly new to our church like the last month or two, and they're going through our connection point experience, and they're going to come over to our house for a meal. And I was just calling to confirm that. And they said, yeah, we're already connected, and we were kind of working on schedules. And can't do it this night because we're connected in a soap group here at Venture. I love that. Already a month or two into their time here, they're connected into a soap group. Scripture observation, application, and prayer, all of studying Scripture. This is a value for us because we recognize it as authority. We pull this out of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture. And is useful... This isn't just a bunch of rules. This is about relationships. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the context that this passage comes out of. It speaks to the authority of Scripture. And as we look at the context of this, see if you recognize, maybe you feel some of what the Bible writer is writing 2,000 years ago. See if you feel some of this today. If you go back to the beginning of that chapter, verse 1, but mark this, Paul's writing to young Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days since Jesus left for heaven and the church began the waiting period we live in now for him to come back, his second, his glorious reappearing. We believe that we've been living in the last days. Because every generation probably reads this list and thinks, yeah, I see some of those markers there. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Any of that sound familiar? having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And then right before the all scripture is God-breathed part, he says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, young Timothy, 
Biblical authority is a value. As for you, continue on what you have learned and have become convinced of. Why? Because you know those from whom you learned it. These people that poured the scriptures into your life, they love you and they want what's best for you. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know God's word and you know that it has authority in your life. Biblical authority. Our generation has a problem with authority. We don't trust it, and quite frankly, well, we don't like it. Well, what makes the Bible authoritative? Of course, a significant piece of this is that it's God's Word. It's inspired text. This is what theologians call the doctrine of inspiration. And a whole book could be written about this, explaining this. But in short, it means that God speaks to us through his word. The Holy Spirit carried along the authors of Scripture in such a way that their words became God's very words. They were literally breathed out by him so that we can receive salvation, so that we can learn truth about him and his world, so we can understand how to live God's way in order to enjoy his very best for our lives. The implication of this doctrine is that when, when we read the Bible, we're actually reading the words of God. Profound, right? And we get to see a sneak peek into the nature of who God is as he speaks through the Bible. If you go back to your Old Testament, oh my goodness, you go back to Exodus chapter 14, and you can see the story of how God redeems his people from the Egyptians. And in Exodus 15, they worship God for his redemptive work. The story doesn't end there. Exodus chapter 16, the people are already grumbling because they don't have any food. And what does God do? Well, he provides food. In Exodus chapter 17, they're grumbling because they have no water. And what does God do? He gives them water. And at the end of Exodus 17, the Amalekites attack Israel. And you get that interesting battle where the Israelites are winning so long as Aaron and Hur are holding up Moses' hands. God is with Israel. And we see in this that he protects them from their enemies. And after the victory, after that victory, God tells Moses, check this out, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. This is the first command to, write, to anyone in Scripture to write something down. It means it's pretty important, right? And we continue to read and we continue to see language like this in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. All the words of the Lord and all the rules. Why rules? Well, because they're in a love relationship with God. And any good relationship is going to have some ground rules. The Bible is a covenant document. It's a document between God and his people, between me and my God. I'm in a love relationship with my heavenly Father. And this is a document that explains, explains the terms of the relationship. Another way to say that, it defines the rules of the relationship. Any good, loving relationship has to have some rules. And the Bible is like that. It gives rules for healthy living so I can live in right relationship with my God. Here's the deal. It's a hill to die on. So read your Bible. Read your Bible. By the way, if you want to dive deeper into this core value, I would point you backwards in time to almost exactly a year ago today. Uh, on uh, the 16th of August last year. We were doing this thing together as a church. Perhaps you remember Core 52 if you're newer around here. We did this all year long last year. It was awesome. And that week was all about Scripture. 
And if you dive and you want to take a deeper dive into this value, I would point you back to that week. You could go back and watch it on our website. Here are the uh, kind of points I made that day. Pulling it from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible is a good investment, so invest to be taught. This yields knowledge. Invest to be reprimanded. This yields self-awareness. Invest to be corrected. This yields life skills. Invest for training. This yields righteousness. Our first of our core values is we live and we die on biblical authority. The second one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We live and die through prayerful dependence on God. We live and we die on prayerfully depending on our God. You want to memorize a passage of Scripture today? Say yes. We're going to do this together. All right. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This one, this one, you got this, no problem. Three words, ready? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Say it out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. Pray without ceasing. Say it again. Pray without ceasing. One more time. We're going to pray without ceasing. What does this mean? Keep praying. Keep praying. Here's the deal here at Venture. We want to be not just a church that prays. We want to be a praying church. Let me say that again. Adventure, we don't want to just be a church that prays. We desire to be a praying church. We live and we die through a prayerful dependence on God. This past Friday, I told you it was a rough week. I had a bit of a crisis with one of my boys. For his sake, I don't want to go into the details publicly right now at this point, but it was a crisis point for one of our kids and for Don and I. And one of the first things I did was text my family and I texted the elders of our church. I said, here's the deal, please pray. And they did. I know they did. And, um, you know, we're fine, he's fine, it's all good, but my goodness, <sighs> prayer's our lifeline. There's a dependence upon God, and I want, I want to storm his throne with my needs, and I want to storm his throne with your needs. I can't help but think that the title of the message today is a bit on the nose. I had announced it a few weeks ago, and actually when I saw the images and the stories coming out of Afghanistan this past week, I was tempted to change the title, Hills We Die On. I had planned my introduction already to the message. I had planned to talk about Hamburger Hill in Vietnam. thought maybe I'll reel that back in, and we won't do that today. But here's the deal. We're not just a church that prays. We are a praying church. So right now, rather than talking about praying, could we do that? I don't know if you've been watching the news reels, the stories over the last week that's been coming out of Afghanistan, out of Haiti. The whole world groans, right? So here's the deal. I I'm going to take a knee. I'm going to get down on my knees right now, and I'm going to pray to God. And I'm going to invite you, if you're comfortable doing that, you take a knee as well. Feel free, if you're not comfortable doing that or you think that's going to, that's going to hurt your, your knees, don't feel like you have to. But if you want to, join me in this prayer posture. If you're at home, feel free. You're welcome to join us that way as well. As we pray, let me give you just a couple of prayer points. Think about Haiti and the news articles that you've seen about that earthquake. Think about Afghanistan. Oh, my goodness, did you see the images of people trying to cling to a plane that was trying to take off? Huh. Why do you do that? Because you're afraid for your life. Let me direct our prayers. Let's pray as we think about Haiti and we think about Afghanistan. Pray for the people. 
afraid for their lives, post-earthquake, post-turmoil. Pray for the politics, maybe pray against the Taliban. I don't know, pray against the political turmoil we see here in our country surrounding this. My goodness, wherever you feel led, you, you pray. Pray for the gospel. Even in spite of tragedy, God uses that to push his kingdom forward. Would you boldly pray that prayer? And would you pray for the aftermath? Pray for our servicemen and women here that served. I, I, I couldn't help but think about some folks who've invested chunks of their life over in Afghanistan and they're watching the news. I just, I wonder what they're feeling today. Pray for them. Pray for the aftermath of the folks that are on the ground in those two countries. However you feel led to pray, you approach God in his throne room right now. I'm going to give you some time to do that, and then I'll close our time together. Let's pray. God in heaven. We bow our heads and we close our eyes and we recognize oh, that the whole world is in fact groaning. It's hard to watch those images. Give us courage though to lean into it, not to avert our eyes. Lean into it and be the kind of people that pray bold prayers for healing, for health. So God, I pray for the people on the ground right now in Haiti, on the ground right now in Afghanistan. I'm hearing stories that make my toes curl. I pray for your presence to be felt in a powerful way, especially those of you who call you Lord and Savior and feel that their lives, because of that, are in danger. Lord, we lift them up before you right now. Pray for the politics. I pray against corrupt and abusive uses of power. I pray for the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and I pray as opportunity occurs, Lord, I know that you use those opportunities of crisis to advance your kingdom, and I pray that happens in and through your people right now as we're praying. And God, for the days and weeks and months to come, the aftermath, Lord, we lift it up before you. We pray to the God, the creator God of the universe. We pray for healing. We pray for safety. We pray that you comfort those who are feeling their lives being destroyed. And God, we lift this prayer up before you, God, knowing that you hear our prayers, that you're moved to action. We desperately desire. We're not just a church that prays, but we want to be a praying church, to pray without ceasing. And so we continue this prayer throughout our week this week. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Amen. We live and we die through prayerful dependence on God. Here's another one. We live and we die for continued spiritual growth. 
we don't accept Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives and then just wait for, we punched our ticket for eternity and now we wait for heaven. No, 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 no. We continue to grow in this thing. There's all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about this. I'd point you to 2 Peter chapter 3. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. How about Philippians chapter 1? And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. How about this one? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. How about uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. See the building, the growth that happens even here in the sentence structure. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness grows with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. This is, this is an image of spiritual growth. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. You're growing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we want to do. Here's the caution that we seek to avoid. Again, this comes straight out of Scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, this writer, the gospel writer here, the Hebrew writer, is writing to a group of people saying, don't stagnate in your faith. You ought to be, by this time you've been in the church long enough, you ought to be to the point where you could be teaching you need somebody to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Is anybody else disturbed by the fact that I think humans are the only mammals that drink milk, mother's milk, even as adults? Think about that the next time you're eating your cereal. It's a little bit disturbing that we're doing that. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a bit lactose intolerant. Let's go back real quick and finish uh, that, that slide I was just on. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. Don't be childlike, the writer is saying. God is saying through this person, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I think there's a... Yeah, that's it. Here's the challenge. Dive in. Continue to grow in your faith. Don't let your faith stagnate. I hope you're making every intention to lean into the opportunity. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. September 12th, our journey home experience. If you haven't yet done it, get into a group because we live and we die on spiritual growth. We also live and die with outward-focused impact. Outward-focused impact. Here's our passage. Luke chapter 10 puts it this way. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We want to be outward-focused and we want to have an impact. Literally, let me say this. Literally, churches live or die based on outward-focused impact. Literally. If we don't reach more people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, literally, that's the beginning of a dying church. This has 
ramifications both locally and globally. Locally, here's something that we're committed to here. We, we want to get better at this. Years ago, Years ago, I went to a conference at Little Rock, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, at Fellowship Bible Church, and, and I heard for the first time the question po- posed at that uh, conference, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would your community miss you? That's something to think about. If our church disappeared tomorrow from the landscape of Hamilton County, would folks that you bump into at the grocery store would uh, people that you see at your kids' school, would coworkers, w- would they miss us being here? If the answer to that is anything short of, yeah, they would miss us, we've got better things to do. We've got growth to do in our local impact. And we want to lean into that more in the days and weeks and months and years to come. Something we already do a great job with is our global outward-focused impact. I shared a story just a a few weeks ago in one of those Where in the World series where we went on location and and, uh, gave an opportunity uh, for people to see what we're doing through our missions giving here at Venture globally. I was down in Mexico and and, uh, told a story about Jesus lowering some folks through a roof or or, or people lowering their friend down through the roof rather to see Jesus. And there's a hospital roof down there that hasn't happened. Yet, And some of you came up to me afterwards and said, hey, what would it take? What would it take for us, our faith community, to put a roof on that? Well, it would take about $35,000. And some of you said, I want to be a part of that. And we thought, well, let's make sure the whole church knows about this need. To recap it, check this out. Hello, my name is Leslie Fuentes, and this is my wife, Sandy. Uh, we're both uh, medical missionary doctors in the northeast part of Mexico. We're about an hour and a half away from any closer hospital in case anybody gets sick. That's how far away. And right here, we're right in the front steps of the future hospital that God has called us to build in his name and to serve the people all around us. So you know, you know that they're building a hospital. Saben que estamos construyendo un hospital, verdad? This is going to be a big blessing for us and all the communities around us. And for us to have any kind of ultrasound or do any work that we need to get done, we have to go all the way to the city. And for some of the illnesses, time is, is really of an essence that we, we don't have when a, our family member is sick. Uh, one of the main reasons of the, of the project and of the seed that God laid in our heart was to build the hospital. Our community has about, in one year, between 600 and 1,000 births a year. So that's how many patients and that's how many births that we can be able to serve if we have that in one year. If we have the hospital, we'll do the prenatal care and then we'll do the delivery at the same, at the same area. So that will complete the whole circle and around and be able us to serve uh, our community. The hospital that's under construction using grants provided by FAME and shipping containers of supplies from FAME will be coming as soon as construction is complete that will fill this hospital with first-class equipment to meet the needs of the 21,000 people of this county, 70% of whom live really nearby, almost within view from the ridge that we're on. The message for those people will be a message that clearly says, you matter and your needs matter, and there's good news in Jesus for your story.
some of you saw that need a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, how do we get to be a part of that? Dawn and I saw this and we're moved to action. We have chosen to give toward this project. I would encourage you, if you feel led, this is a special project. This is, of course, above and beyond uh, my typical tithe and the way I give to my church, which fuels global missions all across the world already. And uh, if you feel that way, if you feel so led after the service is done, that's going to be sitting right here on the stage. Feel free to give towards that special project. Uh, You could literally just put in the memo line on your check. I know you probably don't carry a check with you, but you could write in there, you know, hospital roof in Mexico. Or you could go online because you don't carry a check with you and uh, look the way you typically give at our church, venturechristian.church slash give. You'll see an option there for, I believe it says, hospital roof. And you can literally give that way. There's a matching gift already, $30,000. It's about 70 grand to put this on there. If we come up with $35,000 as a faith community in this special opportunity, we could literally put a roof on that. They could start construction this fall, and by next fall, we've been told they could be in business. We're partnering with FAME, their global outreach strategies through medical missions, and uh, they're going to equip the hospital with all the stuff inside that it takes to run a hospital in that part of Mexico, all of the equipment. And uh, all the framework is in place. The only thing that's keeping it at this point is 35 grand from us can get that roof going and then they can finish out the inside of it. So if you feel led to do that, it's right there when the service is done. Here's the deal. A few, a couple months ago, I stood up here and I shared with you that our church was running 18% behind our budgeted giving for this year. Now, thank you to your generosity. We've been able to narrow that gap, gap to a shortfall of 14%. Thank you for your uh, generously, those of you who have generously responded. And here's the deal. It, it may be easy to approach this opportunity with a scarcity mindset. Opting not to fulfill a need because of our own financial uncertainties. But uh, just as in our own personal finances, we believe that God can provide in ways that we cannot understand or even imagine. So while we're still running behind on a budgeted income for the year as a church, we hope to give away this large gift of generosity because the kingdom is bigger than just what happens on our campus right here in Hamilton County. As you're uh, continually generous with our ministry fund, we'd ask you to consider uh, supporting this special needs project as well as uh, at some point uh, within the next week. The first $35,000 goes toward this project, and then above and beyond that, it's going to our uh, global mission partners that we're already investing in. And so if you feel led to do that, there's your opportunity this week. Here's the thing. We live and we die, not just with outward-focused impact, but we also live and we die from genuine hospitality. Genuine hospitality. I'm going to skip ahead here, Karina, back there, as you're running my, my slides Hospitality, well, it means welcome home, right? What's our vision statement here at our church? It's a venture home where we seek Jesus and we see you. Some of you are staring at an opportunity to practice hospitality here in just a few weeks. We're looking for a small army of people who are willing to open up their home to host a small group for this journey home strategy. Please consider doing that. By the way, you heard uh, uh, Daniel say a bit ago that next week launches our new service times to 9.30 and 11 o'clock. Why? 
Well, because of the value of hospitality. We want you uh, rubbing shoulders out here in the lobby. We want you to come a little early, and we want you to stay a little bit late. And we discovered that because we were cleaning, because of COVID, there, wasn't enough, there was too much time in between the services. But we don't really have to clean as much anymore. We've stepped into this era where it's, it's an airborne virus. And we'd, anyway, 9.30 and 11. And if you stick around a little bit afterwards, and these people are coming at 11 o'clock, you connect with each other. And there's coffee mugs out here. You can kind of connect. But it's not just hospitality with ourselves. Here's the deal. I want you rubbing shoulders with people who are guests here at Venture. And you tell them out here in the lobby why you love your church. And you make them feel at home. And you practice the gift of hospitality with them as well. So um, let's put those core values back up on the screen. We live and we die on biblical authority. We live and we die through prayerful dependence on God. We live and we die for continued spiritual growth. We live and we die with outward-focused impact. We live and we die from genuine hospitality. We saw those tweets on the front end, a bunch of grammar nerds saying, this is a hill to die on, two spaces after a period. I'm a bit of a grammar nerd myself. For some reason, this has stuck in my long-term memory. I think in like seventh grade, I had to memorize a list of prepositions. I'm 46 years old now. Aboard, about, above, across, after, against, along, among, around, at, before, behind. I could keep going. For some reason, that made it into my long-term memory. I think a preposition is anything they say that you could do in relationship like to a board. You could be above it or below it, beyond it. You don't care. I can tell you don't care. <laughs> These are all prepositions. What if, what if Venture Christian Church, what if we really did choose to live or die on these five things? Would you stand up with me? I think if we did that, we literally, literally, well, God could change the world in and through us. And I believe he wants to. I'm going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be called your kids. I thank you that we get to live these values out. And I pray that as we do, I pray it's winsome. And I pray people see you in us and their move to action because of that. God, we love you. We worship you. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.